Thank you guys. Those are perfect songs for the text that we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, I got to say that this is very awkward. I feel like I'm in preaching class 20 years ago, preaching to an empty auditorium. I'm sorry, you guys are here, but you have to listen to it. Uh, but it does feel like uh, preaching to uh, an empty room, and it's, uh, it's, it's discouraging, to be quite honest. It's not what we would prefer, and it's not what we would want, but uh, it is the reality that we live in right now. And so uh, I'm thankful that providentially we're in John 16, 25 to 33, and the text that we're studying this morning, uh, because it is uh, very applicable uh, to us. So let me read the text for us this morning. It's in John 16, verse 25. We're going to back up a little and read 23 uh, down to 33. In verse 23, it says, In that day, after the resurrection, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, beginning in verse 25, our text this morning. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and you need no one to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. To, to remind us and to make sure that we don't forget the context, Jesus is departing. He is just a few minutes from being arrested and tried and crucified. And we've been studying over the last several weeks, since John 13 all the way to now, this departure discourse, this, this language and, and teaching that Jesus is giving as he leaves and exits, uh, and that he's, he's trying to prepare his disciples for. And last week he, we looked at, and Jack taught, that we saw that Jesus tells them that the, the moment has arrived, I'm about to depart, and you will be sorrowful. But then he says multiple times in a text that we look like, looked at last week, but on the other side of that, you will experience joy. And this morning in our text, he's going to give them some more bad news. Not only will I depart, not only will you experience severe sorrow and trauma, but also you will scatter. You will flee, you will run, you will fail, you will not be perfect disciples, and in that context, he gives us this extraordinary good news. This, in light of this disheartening information, Jesus gives us some extraordinary, astounding good news. We're going to see this morning three things. The first thing is that on the other side of the cross, for the disciples, their haziness will turn to hope, their, their misunderstanding will turn to greater understanding, their confusion will be made clear. 
And we'll learn that for us, it's on the other side of the cross, it's on the other side of our death that we will understand more clearly Jesus and why he came and who he is. We'll see that this morning. And then the second thing that we're going to see is direct access. Jesus gives us direct access to the Father. And this is what is most amazing about this text. He uses a word play that we're going to study this morning with the word ask. And this idea of questioning Jesus, confusion, and then that leads to clarity that leads us to ultimately understand we can run to our Heavenly Father with our cries, with our pleas. And why? Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross and raising from the grave. And then the last thing that we're going to see this morning is this phrase, true peace. We're going to see that Jesus also enables true peace, peace with God. And because we get peace with God through Jesus, we have the peace of God. Peace with God leads to the peace of God. In fact, that's what we're going to study for the next three weeks. We're going to take a break from John. And again, providentially, we have been planning since November to, to take a break this summer and to study the topic of gospel peace. And it just happens to fall right at the end of chapter 16. And what you don't know is that we've changed text multiple times. We've shifted and adjusted what we were going to cover each each week just to abbreviate or to extend, and so it is extremely providential that that's the topic we're going to be spending our next three weeks studying after this, this text this morning. So those are the three things that we're going to see this morning. Let's look at the first, the greater understanding, how their confusion is going to turn to clarity. Again, backing up just a little bit, in, in verse 23 of chapter 16, Jesus says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. He's talking about after the cross, at his resurrection, when they see him, he says, you will ask nothing of me. And it's an interesting word that Jesus uses there. He uses the word ask, and if you study through, and you probably heard it several times, the word ask is used multiple times in our text this, this morning. But he uses two different Greek words to describe or to say or to explain this, this concept of ask. The first Greek word, and it's in verse 23, is erato or erotau. I don't pr- pronounce my Greek that great. Erotau, which means to inquire or to seek information. It means to wonder. It means to be confused. We say things like, can you run that by me again? Can you explain that to me? I didn't understand. And what Jesus is saying is at the resurrection... After seeing him crucified, die, and be buried, when they see him alive again, they will no longer question. They will no longer wonder who he is, or the power that he has, or the authority that he has, or even why he came. They will understand completely. Their haziness will turn to hope. Their confusion will turn to clarity. It's on the other side of the cross, on the other side of sorrow, that joy comes. And Jesus is expanding that and explaining that even more. That it's on the other side of the cross that their confusion will be eliminated. When they see him crucified and when they see him alive again, they will, they will not wonder any longer. It will be beyond shadow of doubt who he is, why he came, and the power that he wields. Now continuing on, in verse 24, he uses... He says the word ask again, but he uses a different Greek word. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is a different Greek word. It's not erotao, it's itio. This means to make request. So in the first word, the Greek word that he used there, he means to, to wonder, to ask questions, to, to ask him to explain things. They're confused. In this second word, he does not say that. It means to make request. In other words, instead of wondering, their wondering will turn to wonder. They will run to the Father. They will realize exactly who Jesus is, that he is their mediator between them and God, that he is the, the, the redeemer, that he's the Messiah, that he's the one that has come to rescue and redeem and reconcile, and that he's the one that enables them to have access to God. And because of that, when that clarity comes, when they fully grasp that and understand that on the other side of the cross at the resurrection, they will no longer question Jesus, they will turn and turn all their requests to God the Father. And this is astounding and wonderful good news. Their wondering will be transformed into wonder and awe. Their confusion will go from confusion to clarity. They will have an unbelievable understanding of access to God. And that leads us to what he begins to say in verses 25 and 26. It's the same thing over again with the same wordplay, just different language. So you will no longer question me, you will understand. And your understanding will enable you or lead you to turn to God the Father and present your request to him. And that's where he goes repeating that same thing. Every good teacher repeats himself over and over again. And that's what Jesus does in verse 25 and 26. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the Father. The contrast in verse 25 is between things that are hidden or parables or proverbial teaching and things that are clear and abundantly clear and clear communication. In other words, what Jesus is saying in verse 25 is the same thing he's already said in 23 and 24. You will no longer be hazy, you will be hope-filled. You will no longer be confused, you will be clear in exactly who I am and what I've come to do and what I enable you to do, which is to run to the Father, to have right relationship with God, the God of the universe, the Lord of hosts. When they understand that, they will run with reckless abandon to the Father. This is what's going to happen on the other side of the cross. The disciples will see clearly who Jesus is and know fully what he came to do, and they will run to him. Now this is in context what will happen as a result of the cross, death, and as a result of the resurrection, the raising of Jesus, the disciples will have full understanding. But this is also what happens for you and I. Many listening to this are questioning Jesus, are wondering about Jesus, are wrestling with, is Jesus who he says he is, or is he just some good teacher? Can he do what he said he can do? Can he truly forgive sins? Can he truly give me access to God? Is he truly my righteousness or right standing before God? And in many ways, we, we say absolutely, yes, he is. But in many ways, we won't fully know that until we embrace him by faith. It's on the other side of our death 
It's on the other side of our cross. It's on the other side of us dying to self, laying down our righteousness or self-righteousness. It's on the other side of our dying to our own way of of living and, and understanding. It's on the other side of that that we get full and clear understanding of who Jesus is. It says we look back to the cross, after the cross, after we have died, after we see that, that Jesus died on my behalf and after I die and, and, and embrace him and cling to him, it's on the other side of that that I begin to understand he really, fully, 100% is my righteousness. There is no other. Obviously, it requires faith to get there and, and if we don't, then it wouldn't be called faith. If we have to have absolute full understanding before we will believe, then it's not faith. It's still you in control. It's still you with all the answers. It's still you with all the power and authority instead of laying down your power and laying down your authority. So there's, there's so much good news here. The disciples will, will, will turn from confusion to clarity, but so too will we. And it's through the resurrection, it's through the death of Jesus on the cross, and it's through the resurrection that this clarity comes that we see that it's the resurrection. If he can raise from the dead, then how much more he can do. How he can reconcile us to God. And that's where we're going to go in the text this morning and what we're going to see. There's a second thing that he enables. He not only gives this greater clarity of who he is and what he has come to do, but he also enables direct access to the Father. And we begin to see that in verse 26. And again, that wordplay with Eretau, in ITO, in verse 26, he uses the same words but reverses them. In verse 26, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Quickly, this can be a confusing verse here. Is Jesus saying that we're going to present requests to him and then he's not going to convey those to the Father or that, that he's going to stand as a guard with his arms crossed before the Father and keep keep us from having direct access to the Father? No, that's exactly the opposite of what he is doing. He is the means to direct access to the Father, and he is saying something extraordinary in verse 26. He uses that wordplay in those two different words, erotau, or to question and wonder, and itio, to make requests, to communicate something astounding. It could be understood this way. It should be on your screen. You should be able to see this, the, the, the words that he uses and how he reverses them. In other words, this is how we can understand verse 26. In that day, you will ITO or make requests in my name. He's already said that in verse 24. You will turn and make requests to the Father in my name, but I will not erotal. I will not wonder. I will not doubt. I will not question whether the Father will answer. Do you hear what Jesus is saying in verse 26? Leading up to the cross, the disciples will wonder, will question, will ask him to explain. They'll be confused. On the other side of the cross, at the resurrection, they will be clear, 
abundantly clear that Jesus is the Messiah and the Redeemer. And it will turn, it will turn them to running to the Father. They will run to the Father and make requests. And Jesus says, you will make those requests as a result of my work and through my name and through my work. You will approach the Father and say, I have no righteousness to approach you, but Jesus is my righteousness. He is the means by which I get to come to you. And I'm banking on his righteousness. And guess what Jesus says in verse 26, the second half. And when you make those requests to the Father, you will not wonder. He will not wonder. He will not question. He will have no doubt in his mind whether the Father hears you or not. Why? Because of verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says, because you have embraced me, the Father already loves you. This is astounding. This is amazing good news. All who embrace Jesus can have the same assurance that Jesus has. Jesus does not wonder if the Father hears him. He's the beloved Son. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He has no doubt whether God hears him, whether God responds to him, whether God will will act on his behalf. And because of Jesus, all who embrace him can have that same radical assurance. Because of Jesus, I know that God the Father hears me. The psalmist completely over and over again says, God, you hear my cry, you you hear my pleas, you you hear my, my heartache, my pain, my struggle, you know my needs. For us, we have the confidence that in Jesus, because of Jesus, we can approach God. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Don't miss the first part. Let us then with confidence draw near. What confidence do you have? that God hears your prayers? Is it because of something you've done? Is it because of some righteousness in you? Is it because of some ability that you have? Is this because that you, you have done something good or you've avoided certain sins or, 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 or done certain good deeds? Or is it because of Jesus' righteousness and his righteousness alone? That is our confidence, to be able to approach God with confidence. The writer of Hebrews says it again in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we present our requests, the reason we pray in the name of Jesus is because we have no righteousness to present to God, but Jesus does. We come to God and say, he is my righteousness. He, his work, his righteousness on my behalf is the only reason I could ever dare to approach a holy God as a sinful person. But because of Jesus, because he died, and because he extends this grace and this, this access to God, this direct access to God, and because of faith, of, of embracing him, I have no doubt that he hears my cries. Do you have that same confidence? This week, my wife and I 
we decided we needed to get out of town because of just the chaos of everything and we needed, we needed just to get away and turn off the news and turn off everything else and we went camping. We rented a camper and we were, we were the Clampets doing that. And so we took Addie Wynn and we were doing some hiking and then we got to this particular spot where we were hiking and it got really difficult and she said, Daddy, help me. She says it, Diddy, help me. I don't know why she says it that way. She said, Diddy, help me, help me. Because she needed help getting up over these rocks that we were climbing across. And she didn't even hesitate. <laughs> she said, Daddy, help me. And she lunged. She jumped. She, she put all her weight into my arms. Before I even had a chance to grab her or, or it, whether she knew I would or not. She never doubted I would grab her. She never wondered if I heard her. She never, she never even for a second wondered if I was going to respond. Fortunately, I was there, and fortunately, I was able to grab her, and I grabbed both arms, and she just gave all her weight into my arms. This is what we do by faith in Jesus Christ. We say, Heavenly Father, I cannot save myself. I can't rescue myself, but you can, and you do, and you have offered me a means of access to you. Daddy, help, and how do I know that he will help because of the work of Jesus. And so I cast my full weight on Jesus. I cast my full weight and trust in his capable and strong arms. This is what Jesus enables through the cross. This is such good news. When you're hurting, when you're weak, when when we're in chaotic times, when we don't know which way is up, when everything is turned upside down, when everything is changing constantly, we know for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have embraced him, who have cast, who've leaned back into his arms fully, trusting him to be their Savior and their Redeemer, we know that the Heavenly Father hears our cries. He listens, he knows, and he comes to the rescue, and he loves to do that for his children. This is such good news. And as we begin to wonder, could it get any better than that? Jesus says, yes, it gets even better. Not only does Jesus enable clear understanding of God, clear understanding of who he is, clear understanding of his power and his authority and his capability as a result of the resurrection, he also enables direct access to God so that God hears our cries and hears our pleas and comes to the rescue of his children. But then Jesus says something even more astounding. He says he enables true peace. True peace. In John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. The the word tribulation means to be pressed down. Sometimes it feels like that. Right now we are being pressed down by weight of tribulation, trials, of, of affliction, of what we face every day. We don't face it anywhere near the degree of some some people in other countries, some Christians in other countries, but we do face it, and it means to be pressed down. You will be pressed down by the pressure of this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The word overcome means I've defeated, I've conquered, I've crushed the world. Not only do we have direct access to God through Jesus, but we also have true peace. 
Now, what's interesting is Jesus says, I'm no longer going to talk to you in parables or proverbial language. I'm going to speak to you clearly. In verse 29 and 30, the disciples suddenly go, oh, now we understand. Now we think. They think the moment has arrived, that now he's speaking clearly. He's saying, no, 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 there's a moment to come. It will be even more clear at the resurrection. So in other words, the resurrection is the key to understanding all of who Jesus is all of his power, all of what he enables us to have with God, and it's also the key to us understanding the true peace that he offers. He, he sarcastically, it seems like, corrects them. Now you understand? Where have you guys been? But then he, he goes on in verse 33, and he says, take heart. These are the most remarkable words. Two words. Take heart. It means to take courage to be strong, to stand up, to, to, to walk with confidence and courage and hope. Here's what Jesus knows. They think the cross is going to be the darkest moment, and it certainly is going to be the darkest moment. They're going to see their Savior crucified. But Jesus says in verse 31, in verse 30 and 31 and 32, the darkest moment is they're going to fail. They're going to scatter. They're going to run. They're going to flee. Their faith, though it will not be lost, we talked about that in the past with that word scandaliso, they'll trip up. Though it will not be lost, it will fail. It will flounder. And in that context of failed, flawed disciples, Jesus says, take heart. Though you may not have enough strength, though you may not have enough ability, though you're, you will scatter, though you will fail, though you will be flawed, though you will abandon at the cross, your darkest moment is just on the horizon. Take heart. Be of good courage. You will face tribulation and trials. You will fail, but I have overcome the world. I have not failed. I will not fail. How do we know Jesus did not fail? Because the tomb is empty. Because he raised from the grave. Because he stood before them after being crucified, after being buried, after dying, after raising. He stood before them. And they can now walk with confidence because of the resurrection. Though their darkest moments are on the horizon, Jesus overcomes darkness. Though they will flee, he will not. Though they may fail, he will not. What encouraging good news for a flawed, failed disciple who stumbles and bumbles his way through faith, who trips up all the time, who's tempted in a number of ways, who sometimes fails. What good news. Take heart. Though you will fail, I will not. Though you may trip up, I will not. Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater, and again to the lesser. And this is extraordinary good news for you and I this morning in our immediate context. The, the, the first argument he's making, the lesser, that, that I will overcome, I will conquer the grave. How do we know he did? Because he did. The tomb is empty because he stood before them. They saw him. The, the, he, he walked among them. There were over 500 who saw him. He was raised from the grave. And the lesser argument is that in a little while he will be crucified, and, but in a little while he will defeat and dominate death. 
That's the lesser argument, that he will overcome death. And the argument goes like this, if he can overcome death, then we can have confidence that he can overcome sin and Satan. If he can overcome the curse for sin, which is death, then he can overcome sin and Satan, our true enemy. He can overcome the separation that's between you and God, me and God. He can over, overcome this enormous separation that no one else can overcome. If he can overcome death, lesser argument, then he can overcome sin and Satan, greater argument. And guess what? He comes back to the lesser, and this is the good news for our immediate context. If he can overcome death, then he can, and he can overcome sin and Satan, then what is cancer or COVID-19 or a wayward child or the unforgiveness you, don't seem, you can't seem to give to your adulterous spouse? If Jesus can overcome death, sin, and Satan, then he has the strength, he has the ability, he has the power, he has the authority, he can overcome anything. We certainly pray for healing. We certainly act responsibly. But we trust and we hope, we have hope beyond this world that the world does not have. We will be crushed by the world, but he has overcome the world. He is our hope. He is our strength when we fail, when we flounder, when we cannot seem to stand. And for these reasons, Jesus gives us an imperative. Stand firm. Take heart. Be of good courage. Why? Not because you have it within you. Not because you have the ability. Not because you're strong enough. But because He is and he is our hope. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying in verse 33. Dare to bank on the account of God. Dare to write checks on God's account as though it's yours. What would ever in a million years make someone, enable someone, call someone to say that God's power, authority, that God's, God's ability, that God's resources, spiritual blessings are actually mine. It's certainly not me. It's certainly not you. It's Jesus. And that's what Jesus is daring for us to do. Take heart. Jesus has defeated the grave. Take heart. Jesus has overcome our separation from God. Take heart. If we're in Christ, God hears our prayers. Take heart. He can overcome whatever difficulty, trial, tribulation, affliction you are facing this morning. That is astounding good news. So as we end, I want to ask a few questions. Do you have this sort of peace? Do you have this sort of confidence no matter the circumstances? You can. In Jesus. Through Jesus. By Jesus. Do you have that kind of confidence that you can come before a holy God and that he hears you and doesn't turn away from you? Do you have that kind of confidence? You can. In Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus. Do you have that kind of confidence that God hears your prayers, that he listens to you, that he knows your name, that he stands by your side? You can in and through and by Jesus. 
for us, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, this is our assurance that he has overcome the grave. And because of the hope of the resurrection, that he overcame the grave, then I have hope that he can conquer sin and Satan. And if he can conquer these massive enemies, these massive gaps that I cannot cover, then I know that he can conquer anything else that I will face. And the good news this morning is for those of us who stumble and bumble and struggle to even have that kind of faith, He is our strength. Even though we're weak and even though we're failed and flawed, even though we don't believe, He enables us to believe and gives us strength. So as we end this morning, parents, maybe those are some places that you want to talk with your kids over the next few hours after, after we finish here. Maybe you want to ask them these questions. What hope does Jesus' resurrection give? And rehearse some of these hopes that he's given last week and this week that we can ask the Father, we have direct access to him, that we have true peace, that we have true clarity of who God is and what he's come to do in Jesus. And then that last question is, how can I know someone, how can I, someone know God hears their prayers? And again, the answer is, Simple, but it is profound, and it is Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and Brian and Sarah are going to lead as we close. I pray these things, Father. I pray these things. I pray these things would be true for our church family, that they would know the hope and the assurance and the confidence of Jesus and his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. The profound good news that if he can overcome the grave, then he can overcome the gap that stands between us and you, between sinful man and a holy God. And if he can overcome that, then whatever I'm facing, if it's, if it's a struggle to forgive, he is my strength. If it's a struggle wrestling with a wayward child, a prodigal son or daughter, I know that Jesus can overcome their obstinance. If it's, if it's a wrestling match it, to believe these things, I know that these things are true and therefore I can have hope. Or if there's someone who's wrestling right now with wanting all the answers before they will believe, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would remind them and reveal to them, according to this word, there are some things we just will not grasp until after faith, until we cast ourselves into the arms of our Savior, until we trust in Him. Otherwise, it would not be called faith. Holy Spirit, use this word this morning to instruct us. I pray for all of our church family that are wrestling with different issues. And Lord, I pray that for peace. Give us comfort, Lord, and that comes through your word. May we stop looking to resources beyond you in terms of wisdom and help and strength first. May we look to you first and foremost and then act responsibly. Lord, teach us more about this as we go in the next few weeks and we wrestle through this topic of gospel peace and how it's enabled. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.